The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says, all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.
One of the unusual features of the times that we are living in is how many different beliefs there are. Perhaps you had a taste of that at your Thanksgiving gathering. Your cousins, nieces, nephews, in-laws might have very different understandings about what is right and wrong, the present state of things in the world, or what we should all do about it. There have always been differences of belief. No two human beings have ever believed the same things about everything. But in the last few years, the sheer number of beliefs available to be believed has increased dramatically. Sometimes you might hear of people applauding this development. More free speech and more diversity is an automatic good. But many of the new beliefs contradict older beliefs. Just one example, either we have been made male and female, and that means something, or gender is just a fluid social construct. Either male and female is something intrinsic and natural, God-given, or what I've just said is something that is judgmental and hateful. It's actually impossible for both of these views to be held as being good. They contradict each other. So despite what people might say about diversity, that it should be welcomed, the more diverse the better, they either aren't seeing the contradictions or they aren't being totally honest. Maybe if they were being totally honest, they would say that those who hold these older beliefs are deplorable, and they have no business holding any power or authority in our modern life. They should be run out of the government, run out of our universities, run out of our schools. They don't go so far as wanting to kill people, but they most certainly want certain ideas and beliefs to die. And the reason why they are so passionate for their beliefs is because they genuinely believe that the death of these old ideas is going to make for a better world, a better future. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you had some vigorous debates on Thanksgiving whether these new ideas would make the world a better place. I could take up the rest of this sermon time by giving you arguments for why this or that belief is bad and will lead to worse conditions rather than better conditions. and. That might be an enjoyable way for us to spend our time. I suspect that most of us are pretty much on the same page about the various issues. But glorying in how right we are and how wrong they are would give the impression that we 
with our fighting and with our debating, we are what is indispensable for Christianity and for the furtherance of Christ's kingdom. This is a very common false assumption which is particularly held to in our circles. Being a Christian is assumed to be the same thing as being a conservative. Being a Christian means that you fight for the old beliefs as opposed to the new beliefs. Christianity then is us versus them. We're right and they're wrong. And what needs to happen is either they need to shape up so that they adopt our position or they must be eliminated. Their beliefs and ideas need to be eliminated. They need to be run out of the government, run out of the schools, run out of the libraries. Being a Christian is being a culture warrior. But this is not Christianity. This is one of the devil's tricks. We know from St. Paul that the devil likes to dress himself up as an angel of light. There's nothing that the devil likes more than to play around in religion. And what a harvest of souls the devil can collect for himself if he convinces people that Christianity is a matter of being either conservative or progressive. And then people will just fight with each other over whether we should be conservative or progressive, believing thereby that they are being ever so pious, ever so religious, when in fact they will be accomplishing exactly nothing that will last into eternity. There is only one way for us to last into eternity, and that is by becoming new creatures. Paul says a couple of times in his letter to the Galatians that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, an issue that was widely and hotly debated at the time, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. What is needed is a new creation. I don't think I'm going wrong by modifying that statement to say neither conservatism nor progressivism is strong enough to accomplish anything. What's needed is a new creation. And what is this new creation? John speaks of this at the beginning of his gospel. He says, to those who received the light, that is Christ, to those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. They were born not of blood or of the desire of the flesh or of the husband's will. They were born of God. That's how you become a new creation. You are born again through faith in Jesus' name. This is very much tied up with baptism. One of the simplest answers to the question of how to become a Christian is that you should be baptized. Jesus speaks of baptism as being born again by the water and the Spirit. You need to be born again. 
in order to see the kingdom of God. And why is it so necessary to become a new creation? It is because the change that is needed is too great. Neither conser conservatism nor progressivism can save a single soul from death. Neither conservatism nor progressivism can reconcile sinners to God. Neither side can exercise evil spirits to make way for the Holy Spirit. Neither side can make anyone truly love, a selfless kind of love. If anything, it seems that the more we fight, the more we hate, the more we dehumanize our opponents. And to what end? To greater diversity, equity, and inclusion on the one side, or to make America great again on the other? However grand these ideas might seem to be to people, they are far too small and temporary. Christ our Lord operates on an entirely different plane of existence. This is something that our readings today about the end of the world point out so forcefully that it strikes me as being almost brutal. We think that the stuff we deal with is so important, so consequential. The future of our country, the future of the world depends on us winning. What our readings today reveal is that it isn't about us at all. The most outstanding thing is Jesus Christ being Lord and God. In our reading from Matthew, we hear about how this king comes with magnificent splendor and power with all the angels, and he sits on his glorious throne, and all the souls born of Adam and Eve are gathered before him, each and every one of you are one of those souls, the most powerful person who will have ever wielded the reins of government will be one of those souls, the most lowly, the retarded, the aborted, the slave will be one of those souls, and how are they judged? They are judged by the presence or absence of the chief and foremost fruit of faith, which is love. Did they love? And who did they love? Did they love only their own and to hell with everyone else? Or did they love the least of these? Our epistle reading is also supremely grand. Paul speaks about the resurrection and what will happen at the end. Paul is correcting the Corinthians, some of whom didn't believe that the resurrection from the dead was at all likely or possible. And Paul says, no, there is most certainly a resurrection from the dead. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christianity is a joke. It is simply not true if there is no resurrection. But what I find so captivating is what he says toward the end of our reading, 
He says that at the end, Christ will bring to nothing every rule, every authority, every power. All his enemies will be put under his feet. And then he will deliver the kingdom. All those who have been raised together with Christ, he will deliver them all to God the Father. And even Christ himself will be subject to God the Father. And then God will be all in all. To be honest, I'm not sure if I understand everything that Paul has said. But one thing is clear, though. Christ's kingdom is what is extraordinarily important. And there is no alternative. There is no alternative universe for DEIers or Trumpers or never Trumpers. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in us all. This inclusivity is extreme. It is only in Christ that there can ever be true unity, true oneness. And there will be oneness. Because either you will be in him and one with him, or you will depart from him. This inclusivity is extreme. It seems brutal. Harsh even. But this is where it is important to remember what kind of king and lord Jesus was and is. When you are tempted to believe that this is all too extreme, nasty, brutal, and so on, you must remember the way that Jesus was in the Gospels. His disposition toward us has not changed. What the Gospels reveal is that Jesus is an extremely strange king. So different from those who have earthly power. He did not enslave everyone so that everyone would have to serve him. Just the opposite. He poured himself out for the benefit of all. He healed. He set right that which had gone wrong. He cast out demons. He forgave. And the works didn't need to be extraordinary or grand. On the night when he was betrayed, right towards the end, he got out a basin and he poured water in that basin and he tied a towel around his waist and he washed his disciples' feet. What kind of king does that? And of course, as you are well aware, Jesus was king in a supreme way when he was nailed to the cross and suffered God's wrath for our sins and died. And because he died, we will not die. Because he is risen, we will rise too. This is the stuff that Paul talks about in our epistle reading, and it's going to happen to us. We will rise at his coming. Death will be destroyed forever and we're going to be caught up into this whirlwind of Christ's kingdom where all things will be brought to nothing and Christ will rule over everything and then he will deliver us to God the Father so that God will be all in all. In light of all of this, 
We must all repent and believe the gospel. Whatever improvement projects we might have for ourselves or for others are futile. They can never reach deep enough. Nothing that we can ever do can change the human heart. Only God, through the death and resurrection of His Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can make us new creatures. This is where that extreme inclusivity, that seeming brutal oneness should be seen to be not as brutal as it first appears. It seems brutal because who is doing all the acting here? God is doing all the acting and he's not asking for our permission and he's not asking for our approval. He's going to do what he's going to do whether we like it or not. And that means that we have no say and we don't have control. We don't get to say what we believe is right and good and what should happen. So different from this world. And that can be a frightening thing. But what if none of us is very good at knowing what is good and evil? Adam and Eve and all their descendants, I don't think they got smarter by eating from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What if all our hearts are evil and in need of redemption? Then most certainly it is a good thing to hand over to this king who is wise and good and have him take the reins. He continues to do what he has done. He sets right what has gone wrong. He casts out evil spirits. He gives the Holy Spirit. He forgives. Nobody can do what he does. And he does all things well. Please stand. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.